The Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving, living and learning languages. My name is Kirsten Cable and today we've got another Q&A episode, meaning I have a listener question and I'm going to be diving into it. And today's question goes deep. Now, before we kick off and really talk about this question, I want to make you aware that today's episode is sponsored by an app that you want on your phone. Now, a lot of language learning apps out there use a good system, but they're a little bit dull, perhaps, so you can't really remember when you last even opened them. Or maybe the gamification is great, but you feel like you're not really learning anything, you're wasting your time. Now, if you want an app that delivers and keeps you hooked, you need to get on to Master. Learning with Master is fun, addictive and is free. And it's open to a huge range of language learners thanks to its amazing 50 languages. I've recently been losing, using Master as practice for my Spanish, but I've been using French as the base language. So I get to have fun comparing and contrasting and challenging myself in two languages at once and I instantly noticed that my confidence and memory in Spanish had been boosted. There are overall 190 190 possible language combinations so go and check it out see if your favorite is among there. There are iPhone and Android apps and of course Closemaster also works very well in your browser and if you want to support the fluent show today go to www.closemaster, that's with a Z, dot com slash CLLP, where you're going to find a bonus video with Closemaster tips from me and a very special voucher to use if you ever want to upgrade to their pro membership, which does not cost you anything to try out Closemaster and you can try for as long as you like. Now, today I have a question from Chanel and it's it's a tricky one. It started off with a dialogue and I really wanted to share this with you guys. So I asked Chanel and she said, yes, she's very happy to hear more and for me to discuss this with you guys listening in on the show. So today, let's get into the question from Chanel. Here's what she asked. She said, I'm considering getting my master's degree in either Russian or English as a second language in order to teach. Despite the fact that I do not have an undergrad degree in languages or literature, but my degree is in theatre studies, I have my teaching English as a foreign language certificate. So I have my teaching English as a foreign language certification, which I just acquired last March, and I have a filmmaking certification which I acquired eleven years ago. However, I want to teach people. I was wanting to know your input on this matter. I don't know, do I need to be tested to see how good my Russian was? Do I need to start at the beginning with another bachelor's degree? So I wrote back to Chanel and I asked her a little bit more detail and said the language requirements depend, depend entirely on what type of degree you choose, which institution offers it and what you want to do with it afterwards. Many postgrad degrees are research focused, so a good way of knowing if it's your kind of thing is to read some of that research. But what kind of teaching do you want to do later? Do you want to teach at a university or do you want to teach classes anywhere else? Do you want to teach in a company, in a school? And she says, I've thought about teaching at a university. I thought about getting an English as a second language master's. However, 
I like the approach of using social media, such as Facebook and YouTube, in order to be able to reach a larger audience of people. I do have my TEFL, so that's Teaching English as a Foreign Language Certification in English. However, most of the places I wanted to work require you to have a master's degree instead of TEFL certified. So this is Chanel's dilemma. Should she look into getting a master's in a foreign language? Should she look into different ways of getting certified or is it worth considering something completely different and obviously we can already see that there are several questions to be answered here and today I want to tackle them one by one. The first question that I saw from Chanel was this do you need undergraduate languages in order to do postgraduate study in languages? What kind of background is welcome in a master's degree. Now, if you're not in the university system or you haven't been or perhaps you just just not your bag, today's show will maybe be a little bit alien to you. My views can only represent what I have seen and experienced in the UK also. So if you are in a different country, be aware that what I'm describing is quite heavily focused on the, un the United Kingdom's education system because that's where I went to university. And I also worked in international admissions for five years so that I know roughly what the environment is like. Undergraduate study, if you're unfamiliar with it, usually means a bachelor's degree. So that's after you've finished secondary school. In America, you might have done your APs. In the UK, you'll have usually done your A-levels. In Germany, you would have done Abitur, uh, any equivalent com um, qualifications. So something that's a high school leaving certificate. And if you then not go on to university, those first three or four years are bachelor's study. And then you usually can leave with a degree and you can turn your back on full-time education and say that's it for me or if you wish to do it if you're curious if you want to go a little bit further what you can do is do a postgraduate degree and there are various different reasons to do a postgraduate degree now what you often see when you are looking into what the qualifications are that are required for those degrees is something a little bit like this Applicants should hold a good upper second class honours degree or its overseas equivalent normally in a relevant subject. So this is a quote of entry requirements that I have seen in my research from universities. Now this has got a lot of things packed in. It says applicants should hold a degree. First of all, and holding a degree usually means you've got a bachelor's qualification. You've finished your step one of studies. Then it says a good degree, a good upper second class honours. So good is a little bit vague and it could mean that it's balanced and they don't want to see an extremely strong module where you've gotten really high grades and then three little weak ones and everything's sort of not balanced. Sometimes that's what they mean by good, but... What we're really looking at here is this upper second class honours and that refers to the way in the UK that degrees are graded and it, you will usually see in the entry requirements some kind of grade requirements. So upper second class honours means you want to be roughly equivalent to a B. 
So there is in the UK system a first class honours degree, an upper and a lower second class honours degree, and then there's a third class degree. And if you don't achieve any of those qualifications, you still haven't failed because there's also a pass grade. But most postgraduate environments will look for this upper second class. It's also known as a 2-1. So they're looking for this and then it says, or it's overseas equivalent. And that means if you, for example, did your undergraduate degree in the USA and you wanted to come and study in the UK, that's not impossible. You do not need to hold a degree from a country if you want to go and study in, a, in that specific country. But you need to ensure that the university, that institution, will recognize all of the studies you have done before. And that's what they mean by an overseas equivalent. Now, the decision on who makes, who, who accredits that degree, the decision on whether the university accepts your degree is actually with the university. So you can't go to something like the Fulbright Commission or the British Council and say, will this university 100% guarantee me that they'll accept me? Because it's not for them to decide. You have to ask each institution and each institution may handle these kinds of questions slightly differently. And then finally it ends with normally in a relevant subject. And a relevant subject for any degree in languages would usually be something related to languages but you could also probably apply if you've got international law, international business, intercultural communication, linguistics, perhaps even anthropology and history and if in doubt what they will do is they will ha have a look at your transcript and see the modules that you have actually studied. This is why your application letter is important so that you can explain what you've done that is relevant to your masters. So hopefully we've decoded this sentence here. Applicants should hold a good upper second class honours degree or its overseas equivalent normally in a relevant subject. So when you see that you need to have studied something that is a little bit like that kind of thing in any country. You need to have done quite well. And you need to have that recognized by this university. If in doubt, always contact the institution. Now, I have done a lot of work. I've worked for many years in an area called international recruitment, which is a department in the university, in any university almost, that is dedicated to ensuring that the university gets applications from suitable ideally the best candidates that they can possibly get and that those applicants have all the information they need and that they're motivated to send those applications and to become a student at that university. Universities anywhere in the world want you to be their student. However, they do need to make sure that your quality is high as an applicant. Now regarding language, which is something that Chanel specifically mentioned, I had a little dig around and it very much depends on what you choose to study. You do need to have a minimum qualification of the language in the country that you are studying. In Germany, it tends to be a B1 or B2 Goethe certificate that they ask for. In the UK, it tends to be a grade on the IELTS, I-E-L-T-S test. 
but it could also be the TOEFL and you can even apply with Cambridge certificates because the universities already know what qualifications they recognize. Those language requirements relate to the language of instruction of that degree. If you are applying to study something like Russian in England or in the USA, the university may not or it may require you to already know some Russian. They may say we need you to have the equivalent of B1 in Russian or A2 or this on a foreign services institute scale or two years of study or this many hours. Each university may handle this slightly differently or they may not ask you for this. And that is because in your degree, even if you're doing Russian studies, you might not be speaking and studying Russian all the time. You might may spend a lot of time talking about Russian politics, culture, important works of art, etc. Or you may just take language courses as part of your degree. So if you see the words anywhere ab initio in the UK, that's A-B-I-N-I-T-I-O, that means from the beginning and it means the university assumes that you've got no language knowledge at all and they'll put you on a fast track course. So chances are, Chanel right now, you're actually quite far ahead of your peers and you do need to contact every institution that you've got in mind individually. Now the second question that I saw in Chanel's letter was what kind of qualification is required for teaching? And my answer to this is that it depends very much on the environment that you're planning to go into. If you want to teach in higher education, so you want to be an associate professor, a professor, a lecturer at a university, it tends to be the requirement that they ask you to have a master's. And in any university that is research heavy, they will ask for a PhD. So there's no way around it. You need to go quite far. And often you will start teaching already while you are doing your PhD. That could be even a part of how you finance your studies by working as a teaching assistant or a teaching support or an assistant professor in that department. If you want to teach in corporate environments or in language schools, often a qualification like the TEFL or the KELTA that's the Certificate of English Language Teaching. And I don't know what the A stands for, but I will look it up and put it in the show notes for you. So a qualification like that or the equivalent in another language will could be requirement, but this depends very much on the school. And if you have the skills and you can prove that you have the skills, you don't necessarily need the formal qualification. You don't always need that formal qualification to be there because the, you can just prove the skills and you're in a privately funded non-state environment in most language schools and corporate environments and that makes a difference. So this is much more like how you know the job market. You apply, they look at what you know, but there might not be a formal requirement. Now, the one caveat I have here is that sometimes the Kelter or the TEFL will make your life a lot easier, especially if you want to work and travel, if you want to do something like the jet scheme in Japan, or you want to come out and teach at a school in China or in the Philippines, it's very common, but really all around the world. If you're teaching English, 
you're going to be in demand. But you can look for state agencies such as the British Council and they may offer better working conditions. Now, for me as a German teacher, what I would need to do if I want to become a German teacher working for the Goethe Institute, which is the big name in German teaching really and the federally state-funded German agency to distribute more information about German language and culture, I would have to do a DAF, so that's Deutsch als Fremdsprache, German as a foreign language qualification. And without that, they probably would not offer me a job. Now, if you want to teach in a school, primary school or a secondary school or kindergarten or, you know, the US equivalent, here in the UK, it looks as follows. There are a few approved undergraduate degrees that give you teaching qualifications, so you can go straight to schools, but most people do a one-year postgraduate qualification offered by universities, and it's called PGCE, Postgraduate Certificate of Education, and that qualifies you to be a teacher based on the undergraduate degree that you have already done. It's not always one year long, but most programs I have seen are one year long, and those programs tend to be fully funded by the British government as well. Now, if you want to become, you mentioned before that you're interested in distributing ideas and, you know, teaching in a more modern way, bringing in social media, bringing in YouTube, working perhaps in the same way that I do, in the same way that my co-host Lindsay does, or what you see, you know, when somebody is a little bit more of an independent language consultant or actually an online teacher. Most online teachers work like this. So if you want to do an independent teacher or any other freelance work, there's nothing really requirement required in terms of a qualification because you're independent, but a lot is useful. Now, I never took a teaching qualification. I didn't feel it was as relevant for one-to-one -one tutoring because it contained a lot of information about the English language that I already knew having been a learner and grammatical teaching of German, I don't really need an English qualification for that. And I knew I didn't want to go into big classrooms, so I didn't really do the classroom management style of that either. I did look into the content to ensure that I am responsible as a teacher and I always informed my students that I'm doing things slightly differently and I'm going to focus on them and what they need and chose to develop my style as a tutor in that way. I would say that that was that yielded good results but I do love teaching and I love coaching and I always read a lot about it so I will do my continuing professional development and I think that's very important and I have assistant professored and tutored at universities but never taken the full module and it's usually a non-assessed thing so there's there's bureaucracy rather than skills that stand in your way so I hope that hel helps you in terms of teaching. And there's one question I wanted to perhaps expand on for all of you guys who are listening. And that is, what kinds of language degrees are there? I'm going to talk about postgrad degrees. So if you are doing a bachelor's degree or perhaps you're considering going back to university right now, this is for you. At postgrad level, you tend to go into research or applied mode. So a research degree is much more about original thinking, asking a question and really 
thinking about something that is already existing, asking that research question, putting the hypothesis out there, reading, digesting, paraphrasing, thinking, and testing your hypothesis, being open to being wrong. It's a really wonderful cycle. It's very knowledge-focused, and then you need to do a lot of writing and a lot of reading. But research is amazing. It's just... It's not just about original thought, which matters so much. It's that research and reading breed original thought. For example, the Language Habit Toolkit, which is my my collection of worksheets and the book I have written for language learners who want to set up their own independent habit routine, actually originated from this doctoral PhD study proposal that I was bouncing around and I started reading and I learned more and more about the existing research and I was so keen and excited to put those ideas into practice and I thought, well, I already know a lot of people who are learning languages, I want to try this out with them and I can do that without a formal requirement but again, I think certain aspects of academia and the thoroughness of academia will really, really benefit you if you're into that kind of thing. Academia is not in any way that I have seen. I know many people who have got PhDs and many early career researchers. It's not a cushy, comfortable job. It's not even really a job for life anymore. Some people get tenure in the USA or, you know, sort of a chair or lifelong degrees, but that's a lot of work to get there. So it's not... There's no guarantees in academia. And also you've got a lot of external frameworks and a lot of external rules that you have to conform to. So you have to think about whether you're a person that would be happy to thrive in an environment like that. For me personally, that's often what holds me back from doing, from really going into going for it with PhD study. I find I'm fascinated and I'm intellectually stimulated and I love research, but I don't really want to work in a university. So that's research. Now, the applied mode is much more about, and I'm not talking about applied linguistics, because that is more about, that's still quite research focused, but degrees, master's degrees that are almost like high, high level training. And that's usually in the areas of teaching and in translation and interpreting. So the four areas that you tend to see in languages in postgrad are applied linguistics, linguistics, intercultural communication, and then translation, interpreting, and teaching. I guess that's six. And then down from that, it specializes more and more. So you could do a master's fully focused on literary translation of Russian novels of the 19th century, if you can find it. So the more you go into high-level study, the more you niche down. And for many people, the more interesting it gets. Now, I've got a few tips for you for choosing a master's. Number one, consider whether you are interested in academia and you want to think like a researcher. Now, I have absolutely loved every single research module that I have done. I loved writing my master's dissertation, but I'm not an academic. So you have to think about, you know, what whether you're doing it for the love of a career or whether you want a qualification that will really get you a job. So something like a translation master's can help you get translation jobs, especially if you're looking for full-time or government agencies, things like the EU. Consider your options of whether it's a full-time, part-time, distance learning kind of setup. So make sure the study options suit you. 
ensure that the qualification allows you to live your life in a way that you can handle financially. So consider fees and scholarships, what kind of loans are available, visas and the cost of living and the cost of books and materials in the place where you're going to study. And those can vary a lot. Doing a master's in New York is going to be a lot more expensive than doing a master's in Aberdeen in Scotland. Now, a word on rankings and reputation. Like I said, for many years I used to travel the world and speak to students. And I worked for a high-ranking British university, Lancaster University. So I encountered a lot of students who really valued a high ranking and sometimes were blind to any other aspect of the university, sort of those lifestyle aspects or whether the degree was even the, the perfect choice for them. So consider your university's reputation, but ensure that the ranking, number one, reflects what you care about, applies to a university where you actually want to study the degree, And number three, remember that a bad result from a great university can be worse on your resume than an amazing result from a less famous but more specialized university. So the more you go into research, the more you kind of want to look for the person who has written things that get you fired up rather than looking simply at the whole institution and how it's going to serve you. But that's the difference between doing a language degree and an MBA, I would say. By the way, my own degree was a master's in translation studies that I took at the University of Manchester in 2005 to 2006. My degree was sort of half research focused and half practical. So I took, you take about six modules in a British master's. It's a full year and you have to write the dissertation. And I had choices, so I could have worked in a more applied way, but my level of information that I had from my undergraduate degree on how academic study and research work were not that high. So I felt like that's where I did most of the catching up. I was, I had jumped in the research rankings and I had to do a lot of a lot of research to really understand what how this all works and understand analytical thinking so half of my degree was research focused and I took modules by the names of translation studies and research methods so anything like that will prepare you well for a career as an academic or uh, well and I took modules like literary translation or translation in legal environments and I could have also taken audiovisual translation for example and having researched my degree today so having researched the University of Manchester the degree that they offer t these days is actually really cool and there are much more interesting modules that have been added since so that department has gone from strength to strength and now offers modules in translation software is extremely helpful translation technology and also has a real offer of interpreting this degree is also recognized by a various associations or european translation associations and that's useful and i have never felt i've never regretted doing that masters however i worked for a freelance i worked as a freelance translator for about seven months and recognized very quickly that it is not the career choice that 
suits me best because I love communicating with people directly and I don't have the world's highest attention to detail. And that's something I learned about myself as part of this degree. Back in 2005, degrees were a lot cheaper. So it was a little bit easier to learn that. And these days, I would still recommend that kind of degree. But I'm not sure whether I would take it again because I know more about myself as a translator. So my tip here would really be to be 100% sure before you take those studies, you know, before you really get into doing that degree. And this is from personal experience. And to speak to as many people who are teaching on that degree as you can if you're not sure but you don't always have to see a linear result it's like language learning sometimes you got to do something to see if it works out for you and that is really the way to to move forward in in any kind of aspect of life so Chanel I hope this answered your question and I hope this helped I wish you all the best of luck in your language studies and for all of you guys listening, I hope this was interesting. Please do send me your language learning questions. They can be about something like whether you should do a language degree or not. They can be about careers. They can be about living, working, learning languages at the start, learning languages at a later level. I want to hear them. Email me to kirsten at fluentlanguage.co.uk. And that's K-E-R-S-T-I-N. Or hit me up on Twitter. The Fluent Show. See you guys.